0: Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education Podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field. My name is Eric Van Dusen, from Data Science Undergraduate Studies in the Division of Computing, Data Science, and Society at UC Berkeley, and I'll be leading our conversation today.
1: And my name is Kalechi Nebedem, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the Division's External Pedagogy team, and I'll be helping out today, too.
0: Welcome. Today, we have Deb Agarwal from LBL. Uh, Could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently working on?
2: Sure. So I'm the Scientific Data Division Director uh, at the moment. And we're at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, which is a Department of Energy National Laboratory. And at our laboratory, we do research and applied work with different sciences and then research in data science. Uh, so I'll talk about both those aspects of what we're doing today.
0: Cool. Yeah. Just to segue into that, I mean, I understand that you're, you know, you've been been around as this what we now call data science has sort of been forming and your, uh, you know, framing or, or background has been sort of like big, big, big scale earth science.
2: Yes. No, I I have been working in in the earth sciences um, and and my background, oddly enough, is distributed systems because data science didn't exist back then, Um, but it was a natural place to come from for data science. And in in earth sciences, what we're doing is working with the earth scientists to build up their capabilities with their data. Um, They've been continuously increasing the amounts and um, types of data that they have available, and being able to really take advantage of that to advance their science takes a leap in their capabilities, and so we we've come, we've been working with them to really try to help make that leap and and move from, what we might call the bench science, you know, of I went out, I collected a bunch of data, I analyzed it, I wrote the paper, to working in a large team of you know, 70 or 80 people of all different disciplines, bringing together all their data to try and answer these very complex questions that, that we're trying to answer in, in climate change and, and some of these related topics.
0: Awesome. And I, I've seen that uh, you know, throughout the years you've involved undergrads in your research. Uh, what are good ways for uh, undergrad students to get involved in research at this level?
2: So one of the obvious ones is internships um and and I think that you know I would encourage internships both from people in a science discipline and from you know people aspiring to be data science researchers uh, because you know in this in this emerging world in our sciences, everyone has to understand data science and how to uh, move forward with it and um so internships is one uh we also Uh, do employ GSRAs, uh, so you can actually do a research, you know, longer term uh, research with us. Uh, We've often collaborated with folks on graduate degree theses as well. And so, I mean, those are all ways that you can get involved with us. Um, And and the other thing I just wanna sort of bring up is, even without getting involved with an internship or something else, because I know sometimes there's better paying ones, maybe in industry or other places, uh, that that tend to be very attractive because you need to pay for school, etc. But what I'd really encourage is, is just look around in your local environment and think about what are questions that I think can be answered by data that, that might be available locally. And just start trying to do that, trying to see if you can find the data you need to answer that question right you know gee i seem to remember the creek in my backyard was was a lot more full of water back when i was a kid why is it you know why is it so empty now is there less rain is there you know what what's changed uh that that's causing this and and just trying to answer one of these questions you know or or multiple of these questions really helps you to understand um the broader challenge in data science and to think more broadly about what it takes to do data science well, uh, rather than just apply algorithms and you know, and, and blindly take data.
0: Nice. Um, well, uh, a lot of students would like to know, uh, what, what, what are key things you think sh- students should be learning in classes that would help them with research opportunities? whether it's skills or languages or, or, you know, applications?
2: Uh, So I'm going to be a little more general than that because I think that, you know, in our field, everything's moving so fast. Almost anything I tell you, you know, learn Python. You're going to say, well, but what about Julia? (laughs) And if I go back and I say, well, learn C++, you're going to say, but what about Python? What about, you know? So there's always a new language, a new tool, a new whatever. And I think, You know, even more important than that, and I know you've heard it from your instructors already, it's really important to learn how to learn, you know, because we are changing really rapidly. Data science is still a very young field. You're in a world where things are continually changing. If you don't learn how to learn these new things and and sort of just keep evolving with the field, you're going to be left behind. Right. Um, so you know, so that's that's probably the most important thing. I'd say the other most important thing I found in, in my career um, is when I stumbled upon sort of a user centered design thinking uh, type of approach. And you know, at first that looks like too touchy feely. I mean, we're you know we're used to dealing with numbers and data and you know computers and and now there's all this touchy feely stuff of you talk to people. And and you keep talking to them and you keep asking them questions over and over again, and you have to synthesize the, the the discussion. You're like, no, I didn't become a psychologist. I don't want that field. But if you don't learn how to do some of that, you'll miss so many opportunities in data science because it is a young field. And so there are many things that are that are sitting in the gaps. And and by understanding how to learn about a problem and understand the problem more fully and where are the, the priorities, where are the needs, you actually can, can recognize where the gaps are and start to think about what the real solution is. And, and, I, and I think you know, that for me was one of the most important lessons I learned is really you know, trying to apply that sort of thinking because it got me out of my box and it got me to think about what am I missing? in this in this world that that changes the game and and so that that i think is is one of the most important things nice thank you yeah Yeah, i i
1: totally agree with that and you were mentioning a bit earlier about how data science is still basically in its infancy and it's really important to know how to learn and adapt with these things. And you've been involved in the field of data and big data for a really long time. So I wanted to know what you did to ensure
2: that you kept evolving with this field. So the simple answer is follow the need, right? Um, you know, because I'm I'm really practical and pragmatic. I, I'm not your typical researcher, right? Your typical researcher is in. You know, I mean, you, you think of a typical researcher and you think of physics and math where you think, oh, it's, it's, it's the love of finding the perfect formula, the, the perfect proof, the perfect, you know, this. And, and for me, it's enabling something that wasn't possible before. And, and so for me, evolution is continuing to look at where those gaps are, that people can't do what they need to be able to do and then figuring out how do we solve this problem has has somebody already solved it if so great <laughs> let's pick it up and if not how do we get people to solve it either ourselves or someone else such that we can improve that answer and say look you know now we can solve these things right and and that for me keeps me moving forward because at the moment there's so many gaps that the harder part is picking up which one am I going to try to address than finding them <laughs> in some respects. Because they're everywhere once you start trying to solve real problems.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I also wanted to know a bit more about your involvement in the WIDS program or Women
2: in Data Science program. So um, I, when you say WIDS, I'm thinking of Berkeley per se, Right, and your your WIDS program. So I haven't had a ton of of interaction with the the women in data science program. I've had some. Right. So, you know, I've been a speaker at various times with the group throughout my career, uh, where we've been invited down uh, you know, to be a speaker to the that group. The last couple of times that the Women in Data Science conference has been held, I I've been a speaker at least twice in that. So not a huge amount of involvement with wids at Berkeley, but I would love to have more involvement. So take this as a, a you know an offer to be more involved. Uh, what I have been heavily involved in is in advancing the cause of women and historically marginalized communities, more much more broadly, both nationally and internationally. And, and a lot of my involvement since about 2012 has been with the Computing Research Association Committee on Widening Participation. And that effort has been uh, really amazing. That's been a lot of fun to do. It's a group of women across computing sciences. It's, a, it's a, you know, focused on research and it includes uh, academics. It includes industry folks. It includes national labs folks. And we bring together that group and, and it's it's a board, but the, the cool thing about it is it's a working board. And what do we mean by a working board? Not just we show up at meetings, but each of us has to run a program. Um so I've been helping run uh the the career mentoring workshops. So we bring together women early in their career, women midpoint in their career, um for mentoring, for um, training, for Sessions to try and help women to gain the confidence and to have the tools to succeed Um, and to to find mentors, you know, in in their peer group to to be able to call on for help when they hit those points where you're going, why am I in this career? Because we all hit those points, right? You know, and help with that imposter syndrome that we all have. I still have imposter syndrome. I'm still, you know, I'm like, so why did they ask me to talk? Do I have something to say? well, I'll give it a shot. What the heck? <laughs> they invited, you know, if they were crazy enough to invite me, I'll come say something. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, because, you know, we, we not only find successive women to be difficult just to get into the ranks, right? Um, and that's getting better, you know, and, and for, uh, you know, historically marginalized communities as well. And, but we also have to think about their whole career trajectory because you don't want that, like, you know, Early on, you were seeing that all the women in the in the faculty, you know, at a university, were all lecturers, and all the men were the you know were the ones going up through the tenure track, right? And that's not diversity. Right? That's getting numbers, and and so you know we've been working hard at trying to help, you know, through providing mentoring, uh, role models, et cetera. And we also have um, one thing your students should be aware of is we have a thing called grad cohort. And grad cohort is a program for for um, women and historically marginalized communities um, that that basically brings them together into a cohort and provides that same sort of mentoring. It's usually for for grad students in their second or third year of graduate uh, work that that are intending to be researchers in industry, in academia, in labs, wherever wherever they might be, and that's usually like. About eight hundred women, and uh, the the one for the underrepresented minorities, I think you know they're up to three or four hundred people that come to that. I've also been been involved in Hopper and in Tapia. Um, I've you know I showed up. I I've been a speaker. I've um been a mentor. I've um I've been heavily involved. In fact, some of our you know some of our employees that have worked for me over the years I've met at Hopper or you know. I don't think I've managed that for tapia, but I haven't been to tapia as often. So so I, and I want to say one more thing. I know I'm going a little long on this, but it's something I'm really passionate about. So apologies. But um, I, I think the other thing I, I want to say is that I want to tell you how I got into it because it matters to me that people hear that because when I first, you know, so in the, uh, granted, I'm from the Stone Age. So back in the 90s, when I was... Um, uh, you know originally in graduate school, my experience was you just have to be really good, you're gonna be a super low mi- minority of the people and you you just have to be better than them, and you just have to work hard and I don't need to support other women; they just need to be really good and you know they'll 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 make it on their own and it was a huge wake up call when the first grace hopper came came along because i I was like. You know, my, my advisor happened to be a woman, and, and she said, you should go, Deb. I said, why would I go to talk to a bunch of women? <laughs> I don't need to go talk to a bunch of women. I need to succeed by talking to a bunch of men. They're the people <laughs> that, you know, that I'm going to deal with. Um, and so I, I was resistant. She finally said, well, Deb, you're looking for a job, so you should go, because there'll be people who might hire you. I said, okay, fine. I'll go and I'll make a poster. <laughs> you know? And it, it was really amazing because one, it was the first time I'd ever met a set of senior women that I thought, wow, I would actually be really proud to even have half their career. Right. You know, Barbara Simons, Fran Berman, uh, you know, a whole ton of these people who were just Fran Allen right, who's since won the Turing award. You know, I mean, these people who were just amazing were there. And I got to meet them because I had a poster and they all came up to see every poster because there were like 20 of us with posters. And I also met all these students who had serious challenges in their in their degrees and, and were facing odds that I had never even thought about in, in what they were, what types of situations they were facing. And I you know, right then and there I realized, okay, I'm being selfish. I have to work on this. And so basically, ever since then, I've said, you know, this is just part of my mission is to work on this. And, and it really took that opportunity to see that and say, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm just being selfish. <laughs> you know, I do need to help others. So anyway, I I just wanted to get that story out there because I think think it's an important part of sort of helping people to realize, why do I care? Why should I work on this? I'm succeeding, I'm fine. But that's only a third of the story. If you're not helping others to find that same path, then, you know, you're not doing your part. That's
1: great. Thank you so much for sharing that story, actually. I feel like it is very important for us to just remember that we should help other people get to that point that we're at. And because you've done so much work um, on your board and also speaking at these other conferences, I wanted to know if you have any ideas or if just through your work, you found that there have been some great ways to increase women's representation in data science.
2: So I've mentioned most of them, right? Mentoring role models, etc. But I will say in my experience, and and I you know this is anecdotal this is not like I've pulled together the numbers and I can tell you it's exactly this percent more likely any of that but in my experience having women at those more senior levels brings more women in same with same with um, historically marginalized communities when they've got visible people who have succeeded and who have been able to achieve the things that they'd like to achieve, they have a, they can see that there is a path because you have so many things around you telling you there is not a path and you're not good enough and you're not, you're not going to succeed and you don't look like success and all those other things. And when you, when you have the opportunity to look around and say, oh, that's what success looks like. And it looks like me. It's a big difference. And and that was one of the big things for me with the CRAWP board, because all of a sudden I got to work with people that, on a regular basis, that I respected and looked like me and, and had all sorts of different paths and ways they got there, but were all just amazing people, right? I mean, people like Maria Clave. <laughs> you know? I mean, working with her at all, it's just been like, oh my God, this is amazing. How did you do all this? You know, and and I got to meet her back at at, um, one of the early Grace Hoppers. And um, and it it, it was life-changing for me because it's like, holy crap, this is not only somebody I I think I could maybe make half the career she has. I'm like, I'm going to follow her for the rest of her career because she's amazing. Right? You know, meeting those sort of people give you that inspiration to say, I can do this. They've done something so much further than I'm ever going to go, but it means I can go where I'm meant to go. Yeah, that's great. I feel like you've been
1: dropping a whole bunch of cool little nuggets of wisdom throughout this episode, but to end it off, we always like to ask if you had any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for data science educators around the world.
2: Don't be afraid to to, to color outside the lines because you know, our 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 computer science discipline has sort of tried to start to balkanize into particular areas, data management, you know, AI, ML, you know, these different buckets where it's like, you know, if you're not in this bucket, I don't know who you are as a theorist or, you know, as a researcher. And I think a lot of my encouragement, I know it's hard in academia because unfortunately academia has their, you know. Their colleges, et cetera. But there's more and more data science colleges and things like that starting to emerge. And I think that think outside the lines because the, the really interesting problems in data science aren't being addressed yet. And, and I think that, you know, looking, that's why I encourage the user centered design and some of that because it, it forces you to sort of think from the perspective of the needs. Not just of what's been done now and what can I advance, um, because there's just there's a world of places where nobody's even looking right now to help solve and and our buckets can be too constraining, right I mean, we think of AIML and we say, well, it's AIML, and you say, but you know to what extent is it also statistics Well, it is to what extent is it also modeling and simulation Well, it is right I mean there's there's this whole range of of the field that when you think more broadly than that bucket that you've been that you've been sort of told this is the bucket it it allows you to start to see ways to solve problems that that you know really advance you past where we're sitting in our in our more um bucketized world and and I think that's the exciting part in data science grab hold of it cuz it is just amazing it is so cool and I really recommend Getting involved with at least one real problem, just to get a feel for it. Sorry about that. <laughs> I have a cat, <laughs> and the cat has decided that, that my keyboard looks really interesting. <laughs> but um, you know, the point is that that you know, if you work on a real-world problem, it sort of also forces you to recognize where the solutions that you've been building are missing things, where where your assumptions are are poorly made. Right, A lot of times we, so when we're sitting there in our computer science, data science problem, we get to make whatever assumptions we need to be able to solve the problem. When I'm sitting over in a real problem, I don't get to make as many assumptions (laughs) because now the real problem has a real answer to to what that question was instead of the assumption I would have liked to have made. Oh, well, everything's linear. Well, no, it isn't. (laughs) Right? I mean, right. There, there, there's a bunch of assumptions I would have made to make the problem easier and tractable that when I look at it again from the situation of the reality, some of the things I made poor assumptions about are completely wrong and they lead me to completely different solutions. And, and that's, that's, I think, one of the things I'd really encourage people to do is at least every once in a while get involved in a real problem to just start to learn about the parts of the problem that we're not addressing. Like, why is nobody researching data QA, QC, and how we get better at it? Because we all make the assumption, that's the domain problems, that's a domain problem. The, you know, the earth scientists, the material scientists, they all have to solve that problem. But it keeps us from making any tools in the space. Um, Same with like data integration right? We're just, we're not even working on these problems. Data repositories, we leave to the data librarians, but it means they're made by people who, who aren't thinking about the, the broader need of, you know, they're thinking of them as libraries. And as a computer science, data science researcher, I want to think about it as, I don't know, the, you know, the living library of Alexandria or something, that it's, it's, it, what it can be in terms of this, um, you know, I don't know, the equivalent of, of Google search should exist in data, where I can just find the things I need. They'll be the top, you know, top responses, and it'll already tell me how to integrate the information across these things. It won't, it won't be something where I then have to go spend two years doing that. But that's the world we're in right now, because we're not even trying to solve those problems right now. Awesome. Thank you so
0: much. This is wonderful. Yes.
2: Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts and join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.